Okay. All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about the biblical definition of leadership. The biblical definition of leadership. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We're also looking to our notes from the paper that I wrote on the subject. So we want to turn in our Bible, and then I'll be giving you the definition today. We have been reviewing it and uh, discussing things up until this point that revolve around it, but we haven't really hit it, and now today we're going to go right into the depths of it. And so basically, kind of in summary, because we've been on break, the first thing that we wanted to start off with was really getting back to the Bible and looking at leadership, looking at success. And in doing so, we saw that definitions matter, that the scales matter, what we weigh our definitions in should be the weight of the word of God. And uh, up until this point, I, I've, read this, I've read this, but I really wanted you to see leadership is discipleship and success is doing the will of God. Well, I want you now to see why that's so important. And uh, that's why we hit hard on Hybels and, and, you know, his definition or his writings on leadership and Maxwell and Warren, because we really wanted to frame it as it can't be something other than the Bible. And I'm going to show you now why definitions of leadership and success can't be other than what the Bible says. Now, some people may say, well, pastor, is that just for biblical leadership? It needs to be in the Bible. Biblical success needs to be in the Bible. No, no, no. Because if the Bible is right, if the Bible is true, then whatever it says is true about all areas of leadership. So it'd be like, uh, is biblical creation only relevant to the Bible? Well, no, because if the Bible is true, the biblical count of creation is scientifically true. It's how we got here. Does everybody get that? So, so we don't want to just say like, oh, just make-believe stuff belongs in the Bible, then real stuff belongs outside the Bible. No, if the Bible is true, if Jesus has raised from the dead, if the scriptures are God-breathed, then all that it says is true in every sphere of life. So wherever there is leadership, if Bible is true, biblical leadership applies to wherever there's leadership. If success is found in the Bible and a, and a prosperous life or a prosperous way of doing things is found in the Bible, then that means that definition of success is what, uh, what Apple should judge itself by, what a nation like America should judge itself by, what musicians should judge themselves by is successful. So I'm going to show you today that the biblical leadership definition is in the Bible. There is a definition of leadership in the Bible, and that should apply to all definitions of leadership, all ways of leadership. But then specifically for us, since we're in Bible college and, and, and we want to do things in the church for the glory of God, we want to make sure that we do it right. If there's any place where there should be biblical leadership, it should be in a church, right? So let's say I have Steve Jobs. Let's say Steve Jobs is still alive and he's coming to my church. Steve Jobs should say, I want to run Apple and, and, and do it like the way they do in church. I want there to be leadership in my company like there is in church. The companies of this world should be coming to us, in other words. They should be learning from us. They should be saying, God wrote a book and told us how to do things. I go to a place called church where I learn from that book how to do things. Well, then, of course, I should do things like that in my company. Now, that doesn't mean the company is the church. The company's goals may be to glorify God, but their means are going to be a little bit different because I'm going to worship and sing songs. They may have a factory. They may do whatever. Those means may be different, but the end result is to glorify God. And there is nothing wrong with the company saying, I'm here to glorify God. 
There's nothing wrong with Apple saying that. Matter of fact, Apple should say that. All companies should say that. I'm here for the glory of God. Now, we used to say that in America. We even have it on our dollar bill, in God we trust. And now, for some reason, it sounds like it's, you know, violating some principle against church and state. But that's ridiculous. No, you as a company can have whatever goal you want in that company. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing crossing the line. Now, if you start forcing people in that company to have your religious beliefs, now that's a problem. But I was just uh, in Elgin the other day with my kids going to a dentist office, uh, a doctor's office, and right there in front of the doctor's office was a shrine for uh, an Indian god. And they can do that because it is a free country. They own that property. It's their business. And they can put a shrine on that property if they want. And as a matter of fact, not only did I see that there, but when I was in India, that's what you see everywhere. And so there is, there's nothing wrong with that. If you don't want to go to the doctor who puts his shrine to the Indian god, and I'm not talking like a small shrine. It's probably about half the size of this stage. And it's got its big god and a place for them to pray and put food there or whatever they do, light incense, you know, to honor their god. If you don't want to go to that business, you don't have to go to the doctor over here. Christian companies can have Christian goals. There's nothing wrong with that. If you go to Forever 21 on their bags, they have scriptures. Yeah. In and Out Burger, scriptures on their cups, right? The A company that, that sells to all these, if you open it up, it says this is the day that the Lord has made. It's on the carton, right? You can do that all day long. Nothing wrong with that. You don't want to work for that company, don't have to work for it. If that offends you, don't have to work for it. But if you're an employee of that company, what the boss can't do in America with our laws is say, you have to be a Christian and do Christianity my way to work here. Now, you can't force people to do it. But if I start a business, I can say, this is what my business is here for. And I'm going to put on my computer, uh, you know, Apple, I'm going to put a cross. And now all my computers are going to have a cross on it. See, guys, we've been so secularized, you know, your generation especially, and, and mine as well, has been so secularized, we think that we can't bring up Jesus in the real world. That's redonkulous. Don't believe that. That's a lie. That's absolutely a lie. You right now could start a computer company, compete with Apple, put a cross on it, put John 3.16 on it, and, and go and do it all day long. You just can't force people in that company by our laws to be a Christian, to be a Christian, to stop and pray or whatever, to, to do that. But you can have your, your principles guide you, your goals, et cetera, et cetera. So going back to this, whoever listens to these videos, whether they're outside the church or in the church, they can apply them because it's leadership. Biblical leadership is real leadership. Amen. Amen. Now look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and we'll talk about why we look to the Bible for the definition of leadership. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Then God made all of these things, okay? So God formed man and put man in the garden. Now go on down to verse 15. So who made man? And who made the earth and the garden? Okay, so who should be in charge of stuff? God and man should be doing it God's way. Then God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. Everybody say work it. So that's where we get work. Work is not uh, after the curse type of thing. Work is before the curse type of thing. Work is not a bad four-letter word. Work is a part of what we were created to do. And then God commanded them about the tree, what not to eat, etc. And then he makes them uh, a suitable helper. And you see this whole thing happening here. 
And then you see that, uh, you know, the devil comes and tempts man. Now go on back to chapter one, just to see, because there's really two creation accounts of man. One is the summary in chapter one, and the other one is where he gets a little bit more specific in, in chapter two. But just going back to chapter one, so you can now see the summary, go to chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. And so he created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it, have dominion over it, have authority over it. And that's when God said, you know, later on down, God saw, said that, verse 31, God saw that all that he had made and said it was very good. So put it all together. God creates us. He makes us in his image. He gives us work to do. He gives us authority. He says that you have it over everything, over the uh, animal life, over plant life, all creation. God gave mankind the authority, the dominion over now we know that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and mankind lost that authority. And so Satan gained that authority. Let's see the evidence of that in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, is this just a mythical story that doesn't apply to anywhere but church? Is this something where we just go, well, this is biblical stuff, but that doesn't apply in real world. No, because if this story, how many believe this story is true? Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, creation. If it's true, then it applies to everybody. Amen. It applies to Donald Trump running for president. It applies to, uh, right now, the Apple company. It applies to governments. It applies to military. This is the world we live in and why it is the way it is. Man was created to rule. Man is different than an animal. How many know you're different than an animal? Amen. Even they say the closest thing to us in an evolutionary tree, how many think you're different than a gorilla? Amen. Until a gorilla can talk and tell me not to eat it, I can still eat it. Okay, are you listening to me? I don't care if they can teach it to sign and do something silly. Until the animal can say, don't eat me, I will eat you. Because according to this Bible, I have authority over things that don't have the image of God. Amen. Everything else is here to be our food, to be used for our benefit. We are here to take care of the earth, take care of animals, but it's for our benefit. For our benefit, we subdue the earth. We have authority over the earth. If you don't want to eat your dog, that's up to you. You don't have to eat your dog. But you could eat your dog. Do you understand? Amen. And then the world that has a problem with that, they're contradictory in their own worldview. So they go, that's so mean. Well, do you believe in evolution? Yeah. So you're just an animal? Yeah. Then what's the difference between you eating another human being or another animal? We're all just animals. Lions fight and eat each other all the time. Hello? So if you believe in evolution, not only is it okay to eat animals, but it's okay for you to eat each other. Wow. So don't try to flip it back on me saying you're just a meanie saying you're going to eat a dog. No, no, no. I believe in a biblical worldview and it makes sense. Yours is contradictory and doesn't make sense. According to your worldview, we're just animals. Animals eat each other. Therefore, it's okay for us to eat each other. Wow. I believe God made man special. Animals are not special. Therefore, we can eat animals. You all understand the difference. That's why you can't eat each other. That's why we believe in pro-life. We spare the unborn. Imago Dei. They're made in the image of God. So don't let people trick you around and make you think that uh, we're barbarians. No, they're hypocrites. We're biblical and we're right. Amen. We still love wrong people, but wrong people are wrong. 
Now, here is the, the evidence that we lost authority. Here we go. Chapter 2, verse 1. As you know, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So the Bible says that Adam and Eve died the day they ate of that fruit, but they didn't fall over dead. What died that day was their spiritual relationship to God. They then knew that they were naked. They got kicked out of the garden. They then would have to work through weeds and toil and hard work. Work would become hard and not enjoyable. Childbirth would become not enjoyable. And Satan got the authority because it was transferred to, it was given to man by God and man gave it to Satan. And here's the evidence of that in the New Testament. You were dead in your transgressions in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air so he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air but now his rulership doesn't just happen there the spirit who is at now at work in those who are disobedient so he got what we would call celestial or uh you know like uh um a spiritual air authority which would mean like he's covering the earth like he gets to decide what's happening here according to his spirit and he works it in people's lives so that's the authority that he has. But as you go through this passage, we don't have time to do that. Christ comes to take that authority away individually, and then one day it's going to be corporately as he comes back down to rule the earth. So right now, Satan still has a, a temporary authority over the sinner's life until they accept Christ's authority. Now, I'll show you what that, what that looks like. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. So Satan still can rule over sinners, but he cannot rule over the earth because Christ has been given back the authority. And right now the battle is for sinners and whether or not they will come back, uh, come to Christ, come back to their creator, or they will stay under the authority, that temporary rule that Satan has. Now, this is where it gets to be very important for us in leadership. We talked about it at the beginning, Matthew chapter uh, 28, 18 and onward, Jesus came to them. This is after the resurrection. All authority. How much authority? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Okay? Now, I just want you to see this. I want you to see this quickly because I want it to all come together. Satan still has a temporary authority, but it's not, it's not universal, and it's only over people who are still under the old system of sin. And the Bible says in Corinthians that he is the God of this age. This is remembering, this is also after the resurrection. So turn quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And then you'll see what's going on here. I'm just tying it all together. You know, I mean, how much can I get into right now, right? I mean, I'm just trying to give you guys a little bit to think about here as I actually get into our definition. I haven't even got to the definition yet. Okay. The God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age... Do you notice that? The God of what? This age. And we learn in Ephesians, the ruler of the air at work in the children on this earth that are disobedient. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay, so just put this all together and go back to Matthew chapter 28. Yeah, lowercase God. There aren't many gods. Good thing that you want to clarify that because I don't want to confuse you. There are not two gods, three gods, or anything of that. Let me just put it together. God in that sense means ruler. Ephesians used the word ruler, but God and ruler are the same idea. I don't think they're the same Greek word there. I don't have time to get into it uh, to check, but I do think that, that uh, Ephesians passage, I mean, 2 Corinthians passage is God, theos, but it can also mean ruler. 
And that's when Jesus said, did I not say you were gods in that one passage when, when uh, he was speaking to them? And so let's just go there real quick. I'll just clarify with you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. I believe that is the word theos there. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Yes, theos, okay? But what it means there is ruler. Now, going back to Ephesians, uh, going back rather to Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 18 and onward, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end, end of the age. Satan is the God of this age. You see that? So this age is coming to an end, and this is the age where Satan has had rulership and dominion over the earth. When Christ raised from the dead, he got it all back. But right now, there is a transitory period where Jesus is ruled. Let's get this board, please. Where Jesus' rule is overlapping, starting from the cross, overlapping Satan's rule, which came from the Garden of Eden, the fall. And I'll put an upset face here. And his Satan's rule, Satan's rule, has been going like that. And it was like here. And then the cross came. Now Satan's rule is still here, but it's only in sinners' lives as they're being given a choice. Then Satan's rule, let's say here, stops. And this is when Jesus comes down and his rule keeps going. And then the earth is recreated. Does everybody get that? So there is a transitory period right here. Let me just get rid of this. Marcus will never use that one again. There's a transitory age right here where Satan still has authority, but it's only under these people. It's only under these people. And Christ has ultimate authority over the whole earth and the world, but these people have a choice. Do they... Do they let Satan be their God, their ruler? Do they let Satan continue to work in them? Or do they come under the King Jesus who has creative, ultimate authority? Does everybody see that? So there is not a contradiction. There is not two gods. But there are just two kinds of authorities. And Satan's rule is still being allowed for this time until Christ comes back to demolish him, send him to the lake of fire, and recreate the world. So now until then, we take Christ's authority, we take Christ's authority, bring it to the gates of hell, it will not prevail, and we preach the gospel to men's hearts that they will transfer, uh, be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That is leadership that is biblical. That is biblical leadership, taking Christ's authority and having that dominion on the earth while Satan is resisting us for this temporary time through the sinner, through the wicked, through the one he's ruling in, in this age. And Christ will conquer Satan at the end of this age, once and for all, and start a new age. Is everybody there with me? Okay, now maybe if you have questions, this may be helpful for those listening by video. So I would like to make a chance. Normally we do it and we edit it out. But do you guys have any questions? Because I want to make sure you understand this. Because this is very important to understanding our leadership definition. Leadership was uh, dominion and authority was given to man. We lost it to Satan. 
Satan has been ruling in man. Jesus came to die on the cross as the perfect man to get back the authority that man left. Now during this time, there's a, a battle going on with Satan's authority and Christ's authority, not in the ultimate sense, but only for the hearts of men. That's where the battle's happening. Jesus and the devil are not arm wrestling for who gets the earth. Jesus already has it all. It's not wrestling for who's going to be in charge of the earth. Jesus has it all. But where the battle is now is at the gates of hell for the hearts of men. Who will change and come from being with the traitor to being with Jesus Christ? Drop the zero and get with the hero. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Exactly. And he's allowed to keep that authority because... He's allowed right now... He's not, no, he lost that authority. That was dominion authority over the earth. Okay. He lost that at but the Jesus cross. When okay. Jesus came, he lost that authority. Okay. So basically think of two kinds of authority. One of rulership over the world and dominion. Satan had it, lost it at the cross. Okay. Jesus has it now. Moving forward in Ephesians and in Corinthians... Where does Satan still have authority? In the hearts of sinners, in the hearts of people, because they are resisting the authority of Christ. That's why we are going to make disciples so that the authority of Christ will be brought to men. If men do not come under that authority, they're in treason. They're fighting against the king who has all the authority. Yes, go ahead. Does that make sense then? Does that help you guys? Okay. Yep. Yes. Uh, this age could be also like, you know, maybe the world, really, right? It could be. Kind no, of he's that, but that, that's what I'm trying to tell you. It's, okay, it's not, he does not have authority over a place anymore. I, all right, okay, but then the, like, because the people, the individuals. Yes. The individuals. So yes. But he does have a worldly influence. A worldly kind of influence, but the world belongs to Christ Jesus, the God man. All authority belongs to him. We cannot, we cannot forget that. All authority belongs to him. The place where Satan rules is in men's hearts. And ultimately, that comes even still under the authority of Jesus. Because where does Jesus send people who don't live for him? To hell. So he has ultimate authority. Where is he sending Satan? To hell. So even though Satan is the ruler of the prince of the air, as what would be more known as a spiritually place where he's ruling and working his his. His stuff in darkness. I was going to say he's working his magic in darkness. But where he's working his power in darkness, Christ is ruler over that. But he's allowing a temporary time for the devil to scurry around and to, to deceive, to tempt, to do whatever he can in these people's lives because Jesus does not want to force men to serve him. People have to choose to serve him. And that's the kind of king he is. So he's letting, like according to Ephesians, he's letting this the ruler to rule in men's hearts, to work within the sons of disobedience until they accept the grace of Christ. And if they don't, they, along with him and whatever, whatever temporary power he has had, will be cast into the lake of fire. That's exactly right. Christ has allowed out. For whatever reason, we can't go beyond what Scripture has taught us. For whatever reason, the resurrection did not change how we are born. At that point, 
there wasn't a new race called the God race started. Jesus did not recreate Adam and Eve then and start a new race. So what God has done, he said, the kingdom of God comes within us now. So there are still people being born under the fallen nature of Adam, under the authority of Satan, under that, even though Christ has that authority. So if you just look at this, if you just would see it like this, Jesus, authority, Satan, authority, sinner, self-authority or self-determination, Jesus is ruler of all. But he's still allowing Satan and man to have self-determination. That's why people on this world, I'll get to you in just a minute, Christian, thank you. Uh, th that's why sinners right now still have, so let's just back up. If, if we say Jesus has all authority, and then a man right now, just a sinner, let's leave the devil out just for a second, and a man just goes, oh, say, uh, Jesus has all authority? That means he can do whatever he wants and stop whatever he wants and make happen whatever he wants? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, have him stop me from raising my hand. You see? And then man will say, well, see, I got authority. I tell my own hand when to go down. He doesn't make my hand go down. But what they're not understanding is that all of that authority, that self-determination, which is another way I'm just saying is authority, the authority a man has over his, his hand, his, his, away, his, his way to determine, his self-determination, where, where he's going to go, what he's going to do, that temporary authority belongs to Jesus right now, and the man doesn't know it. Because one day, the man will not be able to raise his hand. He will buckle at his knees, and he'll be at the feet of Jesus. And then he will be able to not stop himself being cast into hell. You understand? His authority is a temporary authority that Christ has given him so that sinners have a choice. That sinners have a choice. Now, put Satan in there, and it's the same thing. He could have rid Satan off the earth the moment he raised from the dead, because that, that could have been another way. He, he could have changed the authority of man the moment he raised from the dead and made a perfect race at that point, like Adam and Eve. Or he could have put Satan in, the, in, in hell at that moment. And Satan would not be here anymore. But he has chosen to let him to go. That's what we're calling this a transitory age. An age of transition. It's an age of transition where men are still sinners. And Satan still has authority over sinners. Though Christ has all authority and he's in control. He's using this age to be the age of discipleship. Building his church. So we call this the church age. Where the church of voluntary movement uh, people voluntarily accept the church and, and bow their knee to him before he comes and makes them bow their knee. So it's an age of grace. It's an age of grace. It's an age of come to this side, come to the winning side on your own volition. I am beckoning you to come, right? That's, and so that's just what happens here. Christian, go ahead. I have two questions. First one is, um, now this is talking about people who will be saved. Yes. Do we get the same authority that Adam and that's a good question. I hope these are being picked up. Um, so the question is, do we have the authority that Adam and Eve had given back to us after Jesus got it? Yes, because he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and do this. And so I believe the dominion is given to Jesus. And that's why very, let's just pause here. That's why it's very important to understand the incarnation and Jesus becoming a very real man. He was not a superman. He was a very real man. He limited his God powers and ability to humble himself to be a servant as a man. That is a very powerful point because, <clears throat> excuse me, a man lost it, a man gets it back. Now, since Christ 
his spirit and soul, whatever made him God, existed beforehand in eternity as the word. When he came into a man, he did it as God, as God the person, the son of God, Jesus, but without his abilities, without his uh, supernatural advantage, as, as it were. And so now what is beautiful about this is that God himself has united since the resurrection or since the incarnation, and after the resurrection, it proved that it happened, is that he united himself forever to be a man, to, to humanity, and has become now the once and for all God-man. And that happened at the incarnation, and it was solidified at the res resurrection after he took away all man's sins. And so that's why it says he's the firstborn among many brethren. He's the firstborn. The resurrected Jesus is the firstborn of the new Adamic race. And so, yes, a man has all that Adam lost. That's Jesus. And we're getting it back from Jesus as he gives it to us. So if authorities like, um, you know, um, let's say like a bag of marbles, that's the only example I could think of, and there's 10 marbles of authority that Adam and Eve have, Jesus has all 10. How much has he given to us right now? I don't know how much he's given to us. I don't know. It doesn't really tell us. I know that we have authority over Satan. We can cast him out. Adam and Eve could have cast out Satan. We have authority over animals. We've still had that, you know, so that really hasn't made that much of a difference. We have authority to uh, pray in the Father's name and see miracles. So, uh, I, I mean, I would only be speculating. I know Jesus has it all. I know when we get our resurrected body and rule with Jesus, we have it all. And I think Jesus can give all that we need whenever we need it for his kingdom. So, so I think I want to get to a second yeah. question, but that's my best way of trying to, I mean, we're going beyond speculation now because it just simply says that he's the firstborn among many brethren. So now that he's born, he got resurrected and we get born again, we become like him now. And it's at the end of the resurrection, we become like him fully. But, but right now as we're in this transitory age, he gives us all that we need, all that we need. So yeah, if God wants you to have whatever, you know, abilities, he can have you to do that. Well, I mean, here's one. Um, very unique, this kind of ties in here, is uh, remember when Philip um, is preaching and he gets translated after he's with the eunuch and he disappears like that. Now think about this. Now in that world, that would only just seem like really like super spiritual, but now we have like uh, these technologies to see that this is getting possible, right? We're transforming matter from one place to another or like they're looking at in physics, like these things oscillate back and forth. They kind of disappear and they come back and then we can even see in science fiction like beam me up, you know? So things that they thought would have been crazy, just, you know, we understand that God can do all things, of course, without any explanation, but we're starting to understand that things that people would have laughed at are not even that silly anymore. Because, you know, like how they would have laughed like, oh, there's, you know, there's a mark of the beast. You can't buy or sell without it. And now we see that's, that, that's, that can be technology, you know. And, uh, and so there's, there's a lot of um, things that we can show that are like that. But, but the bottom line is, if God wants you to go from point A to point B like that, God can do that. Now, could Adam and Eve have done that? Well, we don't know. We don't know. But my guess is they probably could have transported themselves wherever they went. Why? Because that's what Jesus in his resurrected body dude did. He disappeared and appeared to them, remember? And then he walked through a wall. Now, I don't know. That's a, that's a discussion. If Adam and Eve could have been doing all types of stuff like that. I don't know. We, we don't know. Next question. Uh, the next question is about um, how Jesus came back and we weren't uh, immediately a new Adamic race. Exactly. Um, I had a theory about that, but I don't know if it's correct. Okay, go ahead. So um, my theory was, since God is a just God, yeah. when Adam and Eve uh, committed a sin, he punished them. So the punishment yeah. continues on. He said, when he punished them, they named their children 
prepare this punishment. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's because of that punishment that even those that come after Jesus yeah. continue in that curse. But I don't know that. No, I think that's very true. That's exactly what I would believe, too. I, I, I think because when God created the Adamic race the, in the Garden of Eden, he already knew the last person. And you can almost see, like, there's these two routes. If Adam and Eve uh, would not have sinned, God might have stopped procreation at some point. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But let's just say he would have said there would be 10 billion people, and then this would be the end of my kingdom. And then he would just say the time of procreation is over. For whatever reason, he just says, we're done procreating. Now, the moment he creates Adam and Eve, he sees this perfect race of 10 billion and at the same moment, he sees the possibility of them falling away and only, let's us say, like one billion becomes that, that race and lives after redemption with him, okay? Now, he makes the choice in himself to say, if they make the wrong choice, I'm willing to have this whole thing fall apart, my son come in the flesh and take their sin and there, this be the outcome. But what that cost will be is that, like what you said, human history will go on for 6,000 years because no matter what, 10, people, 10 billion people will be born. They'll either be born like this or they'll be born like this. Okay. Now, the reason why I think he might have ended procreation at some point is because he ends us at procreation at some point, comes back, says, this is where I established my kingdom, in or out, heaven or hell, boom, 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 that's all settled, and then now we live with them eternally without marrying and having children. So if that's how it ends, I would have thought that at some point in his original intention, that's how it would have been. So yes, the reason why it's still carrying out is because in his mind, the complete, the complete human race, whatever, just look at it like a ball, and there's all these dots, whatever the complete human race was, was going to be born no matter what. And so he was either going to be born, A, redemptively in a perfect world, or B, in a fallen world. The other option, as some people would have said, is if when they fell, if he would have damned Adam and Eve right there and started again. See, but because I believe how God looks at the future and it's an actuality, that would have meant all of these people would have been born in damnation. Because I, it's like God's thoughts are actual thoughts, you know? And so it's like, um, that's a whole other description of like, but once he created Adam's race, I, it, it, there would be no way for him not to think through Adam's entire heritage. And so that's just my way of thinking. I know some of it um, is just all spec. I mean, that's not some of it. I think almost all of it's speculative. The bottom line is we're just doing our best to understand. Here, here's where I think we need to wrap up today because we do need to wrap up. There will be a part two. And uh, here's, here's where we need to wrap it up. What we do need to understand is this, is why right now there are people who are still sinners, even though Jesus has all authority. Why is there still people doing bad stuff for the devil while Jesus has won the war already? We need to understand that because that's the need of leadership. That's the need of leadership. The need of leadership is to help bad people do the right thing, come to Christ, you know, get saved and to build businesses and prosper and have dominion in this world while there is still evil. We need to be able to do that. Does that make sense? That's what we're doing. We're in an evil world still with fallen people, with a God of this age, and we are here to be Christ-centered leaders. Christ-centered leaders having dominion for his kingdom's sake so that it will come on earth as it is in heaven. And so that this, 
uh, the, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. And does that include businesses? Absolutely. Does that include companies, families, governments? Absolutely. Absolutely. We should not be thinking to ourselves, I just want to get raptured out of here. Take me now. Take me now. We should always be saying, Lord, I'm ready to go now. But until he comes, we should be occupying the land. We should be taking the kingdoms from this world and giving them to our God. Isn't that awesome? That's why we should have lots of babies. Amen. Populate the world. Be fruitful. Have dominion. Start where you can. And so right now, you guys just keep winning souls. Then one day, you'll win souls, and then you'll make spiritual souls. Or uh, not spiritual, like physical souls. No. You'll, you'll win souls, and then you'll make babies. There we go. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. This was definitely not the kind of class I was ready for today, but I felt like it was a good one. Yes.